I was going to talk about <laughs> the Reformation, but instead I'm going to I'm going to talk about another story. Um, this is a, a little anecdote, and I've I've uh, I've changed the names of two of the characters in this story to protect their identity. One is the Great Pumpkin. Okay, now I was surprised. Like apparently I'm old because some of the people in the Dame Hub were like. Never heard of the Great Pumpkin. So, yeah, no, you're old too then, Rebecca. I'm sorry. And uh, one of my kids will protect her name, will be Marmar. That'll be it. Yeah. So, I'm going to give this an academic title. This is the title Marmar versus the pre K class at Ada Elementary on the count whether the Great Pumpkin exists or not. You know, that, that, actually, I do write papers that have these long, boring titles. Yeah, and we, we go to conferences and we like, read them out loud to each other. Yeah. <laughs> and then we do this and move on our way. Um, but, so, there, so some stories about the Great Pumpkin Charlie, from Charlie Brown were being read. And the teacher was like, oh, yeah, and the great pumpkin was, is going to come this Halloween and, and give you gifts and whatnot. And so Marley kept talking about, I mean, Marmar, <laughs> kept talking about the great pumpkin. And so we were like, with Megan, you know, are we, gonna, are we just going to let it go? Are we going to tell her, like, hey, the great pumpkin doesn't exist? Or are we just going to tell her, you know, tell her what's up when she asks? I'm like, yeah, I, I, I just want to shoot her straight. So she asked, and I told her. And I was thinking, she's very mature. She'll be very discreet with this information. In fact, we told her, please don't tell anyone about the great pumpkin. Because we're thinking it won't go well for you. And it didn't. And she did tell everyone. And it was a hard two weeks for her in school. At one point, she told me a little boy turned to her when the, when the uh, teacher was reading a story about the Great Pumpkin. There's, there's many of them out there. And he said to her, everyone believes in the Great Pumpkin except for you. <laughs> so, one, I guess my four- or five-year-old daughter was not that discreet and mature to keep this to herself. Um, also, I guess that was the route we were going to have to take with our other kids because there was no going to the cat's out of the bag in the Marco household, right? But, I mean, these kids, they're, they're, they're kind of upset, right? They were thinking, you know, the great pumpkin's going to come on Halloween, and so, of course, they're going to react strongly. We react strongly to certain things like that. It was good for Marley in the end. I mean, Marmar in the end. But why this story? Well, some messages get a strong reaction. You've got to be ready for those. And that's what we're going to see in this text. Um, Paul's going to deliver a message. Paul is, um, as you know, as we've been going through Acts, uh, Paul is um, a Jewish religious figure taught by Gamaliel, and Christ met him on the road and changed his trajectory. But we're going to turn um, in our Bibles to Acts chapter 17. And for, for those of you with the Pew Bible, that's page 540. 
page 540. So I'm going to be reading from the uh, ESV translation. And as I, am, as I often do, I'm going to read through the passage, and then eventually we're, we're going to do this. For those of you with ADHD, like myself, we'll end up reading this thing twice. All right. You ready? All right, let's do this. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath day he, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people of the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogues. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them, therefore, believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned the word of God was proclaimed by, Berea, by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. All right. So long text. And here's the three questions. Here's three questions that I think are going to get, well, I want to guide our exploration through this text. Question one. What is Paul's method? He has a, he has a, a somewhat clear missionary approach. And then two, what are the various responses? And I think we're gonna, we're gonna camp on that just for a little bit to see what you might expect. And then lastly, and this is, this is one of the questions that I was very intrigued about this passage. Like why are the Berean Jews said to be more noble than the Thessalonians? I was really excited to, to learn about this. So let's jump into it. Let's jump into it. So, oh, ready with your outline? On your mark, get set, let's learn together. I'm sorry. All right. So what is Paul's method? First question. Starting at verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, 
this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. So, his standard practice is to go to the synagogues. Um, you know, maybe this is why he passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, and he went to Thessalonica, because maybe there were no synagogues there. I mean, maybe that's the reason. And in fact, when, uh, in 16, when he went to Philippi, there was no synagogue, but he went to the river, expecting that he might see, he might find some uh, Jewish, uh, Jewish folks worshiping. You know, and why the synagogues? Why the synagogues? Well, in one or more senses, I mean, I think Paul acknowledges that, you know, uh, the Jews in, in one or more senses, and there would be disagreement within this, this body theologically, um, but in some way we'd acknowledge that they're God's chosen people. But two, they already accept old, old, the Old Testament as God's word. And so perhaps there's just less to explain, right? I mean, that makes sense. Makes sense to me. Um, this is interesting. This is a little bit of an aside, but um, I think Sunday school teachers have a harder job today. Um, when, I was, when I was growing up in the 80s, yeah, yes, I am that old. I know I don't look it. No, you're like, yeah, you do. I, I was going to say 60s, 50s. Um, like, everyone went to something. Like, I would, I would go to Sunday school every Sunday. My Roman Catholic friends would go to something called CCD. I'm not really sure what that is. Anyone know what that stands for? CCD? No? Okay. Um, you know, everyone went to, like, vacation Bible school. I mean, it was, it was so seemingly widespread that I remember in first grade, in a public school, we sang the song... Who Built the Ark? Has you ever heard that song, Who Built the Ark? Noah, Noah, who built the ark? Brother Noah built the ark. And there was one kid in our class, in our music class, who said, who in the heck is Noah? And we're all like, idiot. Like, everyone knows Noah's is. But things have changed, though. Things have changed. I remember, uh, Ashley, I think it was you, that you, one time you told me that we had, you know, kids coming at Ignite, when they were talking about God, they asked that two, two of the kids said, what's God? You know? Like there's, there's a foundation that you have to lay now. But anyway, all that to say is, I think that Paul's probably targeting the Jews because they share the same view of scripture that he does. Um, in the text, it says this. He reasoned with them from the scriptures. He reasoned with them from the scriptures. He didn't just reason with them, but he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Let me read this one short passage. Don't try to turn to it, because I'm not going to camp on it too long. But this, this, is, a, this is an excerpt from a passage, from a letter Paul wrote to this church years later. This is from 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So there's two things you can get from that. One, the Thessalonians, like Paul, took Scripture as their primary authority. 
And two, Paul acknowledges it as a means of grace. This is how the Holy Spirit works. Through scripture, through learning scripture, from reading it, from interacting with it, engaging with it. It's a means of grace. Also, there's a twofold argument here in this passage. He argues, one, that Jesus is the Messiah foretold of in the Old Testament, and that he had to die and rise again. Now, there's confu- there was confu- understandable confusion from, from the Jewish standpoint. You have a lot of prophecy in, Old Testament, in the Old Testament scriptures that, to which they were privy, and there's a lot said about the coming Messiah. The coming Messiah does talk, or the, the, Old, the Old Testament does talk about the, Old, about the uh, Christ, you know, bringing back the glory of Israel. Um, it talks about him doing so many different things. But what they had done is, prophecy is kind of hard to interpret, and so it seems as though they've taken all the different things said about about the Christ, about the Messiah, and collapsed them all onto one, into one moment. So they were expecting, they were expecting a militaristic leader. They were expecting the Messiah to be a militaristic leader to help get rid of the Roman rule or whoever was ruling them at the time. And we can see this even in um, the feeding of the 5,000. In the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus gets out of there after he feeds them because he's, he discerns that they're going to try to make him king. I mean, that it seems brilliant. If you're like, we do not like Roman rule, and you see a guy make uh, food for everyone out of a couple fish and a few loaves of bread, and he feeds everyone, this guy's making, he's, he's creating things ex nihilo. And I don't know really about the timing. Had he healed people? Had, had he healed people by then? But what a great commander to have. You go out to the battlefield, we're out of arrows, Jesus. There, here's 10,000 of them. Uh, you know, Craig took an arrow to the uh, solar plexus. That's a body part, right? Uh, yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, you're healed. Yeah, all right. And so he's up, he's up. But Jesus knows he's got to get, I mean, even, even, the, even the apostles, even the disciples in Acts, in Acts chapter 1, like Jesus is standing there about to go, go into heaven, the heavens, and, uh, and they're like, are you restoring the kingdom now? And I think he's probably like, oh, like, you're still, you're still caught up on that a bit. He's like, no, I, I'm going to come back. But that's, that's Paul's twofold argument. But anyway, our big takeaway, our primary authority is Scripture. So, here's, a related, here's two related principles. And again, I think I, I said this last time I was up here, and I think I probably say this at least once a week in some sort of venue. It will be on my tombstone. If you take scripture as your primary authority, you should prepare to have what you think of as reasonable or moral overturned. Does that make sense? 
And also, a scripture-imbibed mind, and one devoid of it, will, maybe frequently or at least occasionally, find radically different things as reasonable. So, I remember, uh, um, I remember I became a Christian, I think when I was 18, 17 or 18, and I remember reading 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Probably not everyone knows, knows what that is off the top of your head. But I remember reading 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and it seemed as though Paul was telling me that I wasn't allowed to get married to someone who was not a Christian. And I thought, well, that's really unreasonable. I mean, that struck me as highly unreasonable. One, what if none of the uh, young ladies at the local Christian church like me? Well, that's a problem. Two, what is a better missionary strategy than for every, every Christian who does not or who is not currently married and wants to, to target an unbeliever. The church would grow in leaps and bounds. I invented that day missionary dating. And I was like, this scene makes so much sense to me. And I was thinking, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll get a little, a little sweetie and I'll argue her into the kingdom. I didn't know a lot about women. Actually, Megan and, and my girls, I still don't, do I? <laughs> she's, she's very gracious with me, everyone. Very gracious. But I remember, so like, uh, I remember uh, when I was, I was serving as a young adult pastor, someone, I would, it was usually the ladies that had this conversation with me. It wasn't usually the guys. Maybe guys don't talk about this stuff as much. But here's an example of a conversation I'd have. Someone would come in, they dropped off a form to do something, and they, they, they knock on, and they're like, do you have a minute? And I'm like, sure, come on in. And then they're like, did you hear I met someone? And I was like, no, you did. Where'd you meet them? And then the conversation would start going downhill from there. And then I'd eventually say, hmm, well, is, is, he, is he a Christian? And they'd say, almost. And I was like, what? And I was like, you know, having gone through, going through uh, 10 years of going through the Bible and going through seminary, I radically changed my view. Now, I think maturity would have told you that too, right? I think if something's really important to you, if, um, and if you, uh, if you were to wed someone that has has no desire to also partake in that thing with you, that's a problem. But anyway, we should find ourselves um, to find, at times, things to be reasonable or unreasonable that the rest of the world does not. So, for instance, uh, you know, I think there's a danger if, if there's one, if there's like one political party that you're like, ah, I'm 100% like in line with every. So there might be an issue. So, next question. What are the various responses? Starting at verse 4. 
And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason, some of the brothers, before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the city and the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So we see a variety of responses to the message um, that Christ came and had to die for you. So the Jews, some were persuaded. And the text says a great many Greeks. Who are these Greeks? Commentators struggle with who are these people. They're thinking, I'm going to use some, I'm going to use some big words. They think that there's, they are probably proselytes. They're like, they're sort of on their way to being Jewish, but they're not yet following all the Mosaic laws and all the Mosaic rules. But they're still like hanging out in the synagogue learning with um, the Jews. And then it points out, you know, Luke goes out of his way to point out that leading women, and again, this is just an acknowledgement that uh, women have had a huge part in the starting of the church. But then there are Thessalonian detractors. Some Jews were jealous. Again, it's not uncommon to, to fear something or to react strongly to something that uh, creates some emotion. And then there are rabbles and louts, or louts. You know, pay attention, because we don't want to do the same thing, but, but look at the naysayers' methods. They basically take, they approach Paul's words, um, interpret them very uncharitably, and even distort them. And they just use raw emotion, as opposed to actual reasoning. So we are not to do that ourselves. None of you ever do that, right? Right? So implications and applications. So first of all, our primary authority, Scripture, and its messengers will see, receive a variety of actions from really bad to really good. So what is your job? You know, as, as, as part of the church, what is our job? One, do get the message out. You know, uh, invite people. Be prepared for good and bad responses. Don't add, don't add little writers. Don't add little writers like, oh, being a Christian means, you know, putting trust in Jesus Christ for this life and the next, and not telling your child about the great pumpkin, and, I mean, just don't... Stop with what God says. Don't add all your other stuff onto it, as well-meaning as you think it is. Um, yeah, and, and also, you know, don't make, don't make things about... Don't make uh, acceptance or rejection... 
acceptance or rejection about you. It's just, it's, that's just not the, that's not the goal. Don't be so egocentric. I've never seen anyone um, become a Christian just to uh, be nice to a friend or something like that. It just doesn't happen. Right? So next question, though. Like, we have to... Time's getting away from us. Um, why are the Berean Jews more noble than the Thessalonians? Why are the Bereans more noble than the Thessalonians? Verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them, therefore, believed with not a few Greek women of high standing, as well as men. So, the text says... They were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. These people were all about the word. They were more interested in what, hearing what God had to say through the Old Testament than maybe what their traditions or other uh, contrived institutions had to say. In fact, I, I sort of envision them trying to seek Paul out in the city and asking him questions and maybe not giving Paul much rest sometimes. Because they're just, they're, they're interested. They're not going to just take Paul's word for it. They, make, they, want, they want him to show it. Now, what's going on here? Interestingly, I, I think the Holy Spirit's already working through Scripture. Remember, we talked about it being a means of grace. He's actually already working on these Jews, and preparing them for Paul. If, you want, if, you're, bored this, if you're bored this afternoon, uh, Google Puritan and preparation, or preparationism. You can have a nice little, you read about the doctrine of preparation and, and the Puritans. No one's writing that down. That's okay. That's okay. Did I say it was Reformation Day? <laughs> All right. But anyway, the result. They didn't write Paul off immediately. They wanted proof. They're not just going to take Paul's word for it. They're going to see it in the scriptures. And many believed Jews, leading Greek w women, and then some Greek men. So our big takeaway... Our primary authority, Scripture, and its messengers will receive a variety of reactions from really bad to really good. Moreover, strive to be like the Bereans by receiving the word with eagerness, laboring to understand it, and allowing it to form you. All right. I'm done. No, I'm just kidding. That, that, there's a lot to unpack there, right? Like, what do you do? What do you do if you like work 12-hour shifts and like you are just in a massive brain fog a lot of the times? What if your, your job situation is crazy? What if you just really don't have the ability to get into a Bible study? Or what if you, what if reading Leviticus or First Chronicles seems about as interesting as watching paint dry? What if you don't find your, what if you don't think of yourself as very intelligent? 
or not a good reader, or you just maybe reading is just not your thing. What do you do? Well, just I have some recommendations just on three different levels: divine level, angelic level, and human level. One on the divine level, there there should be you should there is encouragement that God talks about how he works through scripture throughout the Bible. And so be encouraged. Yeah, he may not work one day on you, but there's an expectation that when you go to scripture that God is working on you, maybe slowly but surely, changing your heart, changing the way you think about things, helping you be better. Being Being less fearful. I mean, don't expect this. Like, I read, I read my devotions in the morning, and then all of them are like, I feel strangely holy. Bless you, brother. Bless you. Person that just cut me off and gave me that unkind gesture, I bless you too, and I hope you have a good day. No, I mean, it takes time. Also, if you've ha- on the angelic level, if you've had a bad day, and you have said some bad things or done bad things, like maybe you were at a church softball game and you argued with the umpire for like five minutes. Because I'm all about justice. (laughs) Justice. It's not actually... Don't listen to the lie. You should probably skip Bible today. You You were pretty bad today. You should probably... Stay away. Don't listen to that. Read anyway. Did I cover well for you, Craig? (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) And on a human level, realize, like anything, it takes practice. Time, commitment, and developing a taste for the activity. Um, I, three times a week, I try to run. Like, you would look at me and you're like, are you okay? Like, did, did someone shoot you? And you're like trying to get away from them and you've had a lot of blood loss because that's what it looks like. <laughs> like, it's, it's pretty bad. And, uh, and I've never been, I, I don't know, the last 20 years, that's kind of how I've run. I, I actually don't run on Cornerstone's campus anymore because people are like, you look like you're in a lot of pain. So anyway, so I was really struck when my friend, Keith, who like, he's like this, he never played football, but he's like a big football player, dude. He probably outweighs me by 100 pounds. He's like, I'm going to run a marathon. I'm like, what? He's like, I've already been running for like two months, and I love running. I'm like, no one ro- loves running. But he did. He's like, no, after I hated it for the first, and so I don't know how I can get that. But man, he... He developed a taste for it. He loved it. And he finished a marathon. But it took time. It took practice. Anyway. We've got to get moving. All right, let me lay on this thing. 13. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea, also they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds, Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. 
Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So in short, Paul is sent off, and they need to continue their missionary journey. They need to continue their missionary voyage. And it's not out of fear, but it's just out of prudence. Paul, Paul if you see in like the book of Philippians, Paul's not worried about dying. Right? But God's plan won't be thwarted. You know, the early church, this is kind of the mindset of the early church. Um, There's just not the fear there. And this is how, even, even when they were supposed to stay in Jerusalem, but it's actually the persecution that spread the church out. From Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the world. So our God will never leave us. He'll always watch out for us. And so in the meantime, we're to continue to hear, eagerly hear his word. And to talk about his wondrous love and works for us. Uh, Let's pray.